0: Healthcare reform. It's a big issue in Washington. And with the opening of Michael Moore's film Sicko, a razor sharp critique of American healthcare, healthcare reform is an even bigger issue. Moore paints a glowing picture of healthcare in countries with government run healthcare systems. Are they as good as he says? Should we revive the long discarded idea of a national healthcare system in the U.S., Medicare for all? Welcome to the Washington Health Report. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. Here to talk to us about the Canadian National Health Care System is Dr. Colleen Flood, Professor of Health Policy and Law at the University of Toronto. Welcome to the program, Dr. Flood.
1: Thank you very much, Paul.
0: Well, could you start by getting us up to speed on the Canadian healthcare care system? How is it different from the U.S. system?
1: The main difference between Canada and the United States is the fact that everybody is covered for hospital and physician services, medically necessary hospital and physician services, and there are no out-of-pocket payments required. That means when you go to a doctor or you go to a hospital, hospital. You never have to pay for medically necessary care. And so that's the biggest difference that we have between Canada and the United States. But I think it's really important to note that every developed country in the world, apart from the United States, covers their citizens or provides health insurance to their citizens. So the United States is the only country in the developed world which doesn't make sure that everybody has health insurance coverage.
0: Well you're in Toronto, you're not far away, you can almost see us across Lake Ontario on a clear day. Uh why do you think that we are an exception to the rule among developed countries?
1: It's a product of history, I guess. These national health care systems in the developed world, most of them came to pass just after the Depression. And in Canada, Canada was a slow starter in that regard. It was the same as the United States up until the mid-60s. And if you look at all the charts and graphs, you see we were were going along and around the same kind of trajectory in terms of spending and people who didn't have insurance and doctors who had to take payments and, you know, hens and eggs and this kind of stuff. But then their sort of forces kind of came together at that point in time in Canada to create national health insurance. And um, for whatever reason, those same forces didn't come together in the United States. And, And then we went on to two quite different paths. So... But I guess, you know, with everything, change is very difficult. Once people are used to their kind of system, they assume that that's always the only kind of system you can have, that that must be the best system because that's the system they're in. And obviously, some folks will do really well out of it and some folks will do really bad out of it. And it's always very difficult to change.
0: One of the roadblocks for people who favor a national health care system in the United States, one of the roadblocks is the vast health insurance industry. I'm curious, what became of the Canadian health insurance companies when you went to a national system?
1: Well, we still have private health insurance. They cover stuff that isn't covered by the public health insurance system. So they're covering things like prescription drugs for some folks and home care and, you know, your extra stuff that isn't in vitro fertilization that isn't covered. So they are still around. They weren't as big or as well established in the 60s as the, you know, the huge companies that you have operating in the United States. So In reality, what would have to happen in the United States is that you would have to find some kind of role for these large private health insurance companies in any new system. And that has been done in other countries. So, for example, in the Netherlands and in Switzerland, private health insurers have a significant role, but they still manage to make sure that everybody has health insurance, that they regulate them and require that they, you know, not risk rate too much and that they pool community rate. All this kind of stuff that you can do. So you can still have private health insurers, but you regulate them, and you have some extra help for people who can't get into the private health insurance scheme. And there's all sorts of ways of getting there, which doesn't mean that you have to have something that looks just like the Canadian system, which is more of a you know government-run tax finance system. There's all sorts of ways of getting there.
0: So prescription drugs are not covered in the Canadian healthcare system?
1: They're not covered under the main central plan, but all the provinces, which are kind of like the states, have their own plan. So basically they are covered, but they're, it's a bit more patchy, right? So people who are employed have their coverage through private health insurer's. And then, kind of similar to the, the states in this regard, the government picks up the, mostly picks up the elderly, the provincial government picks up the elderly and the poor. But there's still a few folks that don't have insurance, so we're working on trying to fix that.
0: And then people who are self-employed or work for small companies, do they have drug coverage?
1: They may or may not, and that's what we're trying to fix. So we've got a similar problem to what you guys have across your whole health care system. We've got that problem in drugs. we got to fix that.
0: Michael Moore in his movie Sicko and on his website talks about regulating pharmaceutical companies as a public utility. That's what you've essentially done in Canada with insurance companies.
1: Oh, yes. Well, we don't regulate insurance companies. No, we don't. We don't have large private health insurance companies. They just cover certain things like prescription drugs and that sort of stuff. They're not regulated in Canada, but in other countries they are regulated, and that's how other countries like France and Switzerland achieve universal coverage. That's how they get everybody covered. It's kind of not as complicated, but a little bit more like the the kind of Clinton plan that you see in in countries like the Netherlands and and Switzerland.
0: So tell us a little more about that. How does that work? How how does regulation lead to coverage of everybody.
1: They regulate private health insurers and they say look you you have to cover everybody that comes in, you can't drop them, you you can only charge them one fee, right? You can't charge them this kind of differential premium depending on whether you're really sick or you've got pre-existing conditions, for example. So that's how they do it. They sort of say you can only charge one fee. And you can't drop people when they become a bit too costly. And then the government kind of helps private health insurance companies cover those high-cost people, right? So there's some sort of pooling that goes on of money that can come in either from the government or collecting from employers and employees. And that try they pull that to try to cover the really high-cost people so private health insurers get the help that they need to cover them. So that's how they do that. And then they will maybe for the unemployed either pay the premium for them to private health insurance companies or have non-profit health insurers providing coverage for them that the government subsidises. It's pretty complicated, I guess it sounds a little complicated, but they managed to do this in many European countries, so, you know, it's obviously not that hard to
0: do. It's been road tested.
1: It's been road tested, tried and true, and there's lots of different variations on the theme, but they do all do it.
0: Before we go to drug companies, let me just remind listeners that this is the Washington Health Report on MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. We're talking to Dr. Colleen Flood of the University of Toronto about Michael Moore's film Sicko and the Canadian healthcare system. So go ahead, drug companies in Canada, how is that handled?
1: What happens in Canada is that we have a mechanism that we regulate the price of patent drugs so We set the price of patent drugs relative to a basket of drug prices in the rest of the world. So we say you can't charge a price above a certain level, and so that's how we deal with drug prices. But we don't otherwise really regulate drug companies, apart from quality and safety, just like the FDA in the U.S., but we don't regulate them in the same kind of way. We don't nationalize them or anything like that.
0: My assumption would be, and tell me if I'm correct, that many of your drugs come from U.S. healthcare companies.
1: Well, we have actually a really quite significant number of drug companies that are based in Canada. So, you know, there are, of course, a number of them that are U.S.-based companies, but we also have Canadian-based companies, there are U.K.-based companies, German-based companies. The U.S. dominates the world market, but we certainly do have our own drug companies.
0: Now, with regard to the U.S. companies, if you're going to put a ceiling on drug prices, isn't there some concern that the U.S. companies and maybe some of the others, Germans or others outside of Canada, would say, okay, we can't make enough money. We can't support our research and development at that price. We're not going to sell to you.
1: Well, it hasn't happened yet. A lot of countries regulate drug prices. In fact, most of them do in some form or another. We're not particularly over the top in the kinds of regulations that we have. You see a lot more kind of tough negotiation and regulation of prices in countries like Australia and New Zealand and you know what? The drug companies keep supplying them. They haven't sort of said, well, we're not coming in. And it turns out that, you know, the drug companies are some of the most profitable companies in the world. I think you'd have to go kind of pretty far down before you really start to make them unsustainable in terms of price regulation.
0: I know the drug companies, if we had a representative here, would give you a very sharp answer to that, but let's move on. One of the things I'm interested in is... Canadian physicians. Now, Organized Medicine, the American Medical Association, and other doctors groups in the U.S. have largely been opposed to a national health care system. How did Canadian doctors feel at the time of the change? Did they support or oppose?
1: Well, the Organized Medicine did oppose it. They weren't keen on it at all. Now, I think Organized Medicine in Canada supports the Canadian Medicare. So, you know, go figure. So at the time they didn't, but now that we have it, Canadian Medical Association is supportive of Canadian Medicare. Now, of course, they'd probably like some reforms. And one of the things that we deal with here is that Canadian doctors would like to top up whatever they get from the government with private health insurance. And we're a little bit unusual that we have some restrictions on on the extent to which they can do that. But I don't think, you know, it's a weird to having debates about that in Canada. I don't think there'd be any debate about that in the United States. You would simply allow your doctors to do that. So, you know, the one thing that rankles doctors here, I just don't think it would even be an issue in the United States because of the kind of commitment to choice and private health insurance and all that sort of stuff. So
0: Did Canadian doctors take a hit? financially or do they feel squeezed by the national health care system?
1: Well they certainly didn't when it came in because a lot of them you know were actually finding it quite hard to get by at least some of the primary care docs because you're out in remote and rural areas and people really need care and they can't afford to pay for it so you end up treating them without being paid. So back in the you know 50s and 60s this was more of an issue. You know my sense is that, as I said, doctors are, in Canada, relatively well paid relative to doctors in other countries and they're certainly you know, relatively well paid compared to other highly qualified professionals in society. So I think there are yeah, we have some worries about, you know, we probably don't pay our uh, family doctors enough money. But I think that's a problem in a lot of different countries and not just in Canada. So, you know, they have to do a lot of work and perhaps they need to get a bit more money than they are.
0: The one thing that we often hear, the objection that's always brought up about the Canadian system and the British system and the others, is that here in the United States, if you have a heart attack and you need a bypass operation, you go to the hospital and you get it. That day, uh, maybe, or certainly within a couple of days as soon as you can be prepped and immediately if it's an emergency situation. And the objection to Canada always is people have to wait months and months for their bypass. Michael Moore does a thing in his film where he talks to people in a hospital waiting room and they all say, no, they haven't waited more than 20 minutes. But that's not really the issue. The issue is do people have to wait weeks or months for potentially life-saving Procedures.
1: They never have to wait weeks or months for life-saving procedures.
0: I hear that all the time. They they must wait. I always hear that. That's true.
1: No, that's not true. And there really is no evidence at all that that's the case for life-saving stuff. Now, you know, we have had problems with wait times for you know more stuff that isn't not life-threatening, like hip surgery and knee surgery, and we've had some problems with that. You know, because the thing is, we do treat people. When you come in as an emergency or you have acute needs, then we're going to drop everything and treat you right then and there.
0: That brings us to a close. We've been talking with Dr. Colleen Flood about the Canadian health care system. Uh, she's from the University of Toronto, and thanks for that view from across the border.
1: Oh, you're welcome.
0: I'm your host, Paul Rayburn. You have been listening to the Washington Health Report on Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Comments? questions, like to share your own views about our system and the Canadian system, send us an email, xm at
1: reachmd.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.